All right, guys, welcome to Billion Moonshots. Uh, I, I came across Armand you first, and I was really curious. Like, you graduated from UC Berkeley, interned at Amazon, landed full time role at a big tech company. Why? What, what came across your mind that, hey, I want to leave this comfortable life to become a founder and that doing Web3? So let's start there. Yeah, yeah. So this is a, this is a good story. So Parker and I went to UC Berkeley together, uh, met in the dorms freshman year within the first week of starting college. So long-term friends there and really just with our friend group, we were always building different things, whether they were trading bots, social apps, you name it, we probably built it or at least tried to build it. Um, and we really kept this kind of energy going after school with the kind of same friend group. We're always building stuff. And when we ultimately went to our full-time jobs, I was at Cisco as a software engineer, Parker was at Lockheed Martin, uh, doing some really cool stuff that he'll get into uh, eventually as well. Uh, we found that building out these projects on the side that we were working on was much, much more exciting than uh, the full-time roles that we had. Uh, that mixed with kind of just a few other factors uh, led us to say, hey, let's just take this leap of faith. Uh, we have you know, some savings there ready to go. Worst comes to worst, we can always get another job, but an opportunity like this with the energy we have uh, will, will not come again. So took that leap of faith and stuff moved pretty quickly. And now we're That's here. That's great, so man. I, I feel like sense. I also think a lot about this, like the energy we have, how do I cap, how do I capitalize on that energy and do something good with it? Not just go after the basic stuff, but yeah, Parker, what's your side of the story? What was going on in your mind? Yeah. I mean, like Armand said, when we were in school together, it was, it was always kind of this obsession around building. We were roommates for a long time and it was always, we always kind of said, it's not a matter of if, uh, it's a matter of when that we kind of go out and do our own thing together and, and kind of just build something to like just and throw it out there. And so, you know, when we, when we kind of ultimately graduated and went to go to our jobs, it was, we were only there for about five or six months each. And, and then around kind of October space, when we really started kind of putting more more gas in the engine uh, in the building space, we, we gave ourselves an ultimatum, said, all right, Valentine's Day, uh, that's our gift to each other. So we're we're going to quit our jobs uh, and we're going to, whatever we have in the bank, whatever we saved up since then, uh, that's the day that we, we're going to go all in. And, and sure enough, February rolls around, um, we're, we're ready to rock, like we're ready to go. And we're so it, we kind of throw in the towel in, in the big tech space and decide to kind of go out on our own. And it's been, yeah, it's been a blessing ever since. I mean, it's been, it was, it was kind of a dream come true. And every day it's, it's been pretty, pretty awesome since. That's pretty cool, man. I think I've talked to a couple of people over here who were founders who quit their job. Next day, started working on the on the startup. I'm just curious, what happened? What, what were you feeling the next day after you resigned? Were you feeling like, oh shit, what is what just did I do? Uh, <laughs> uh, there was a, Parker, go ahead. There was some time, you know, time on the phone with mom uh, explaining the decision and kind of what's going on. I mean, we're we're we were young. We're we're still really young. Obviously, yeah. I graduated very soon after, and so I think it was just really. I mean, we were we were pretty confident in it. Like Armand and I have a lot of trust in each other, obviously. And to, to make that leap of faith, it was a lot like the next day was just kind of talking about our vision and what we needed to do. And uh, there was really no skipping like in the beat. It was just, as soon as we quit, like we didn't, it's not like we quit cold Turkey. Then it was like starting to ideate. We had our, we had been building, we had been kind of working on stuff in the background. Um, so the next day was kind of like, just like that freedom, like, dude, let's go out and actually just build. Um, yeah. 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 I'll build off of that. It was definitely more of like a relief and realization that we have the freedom to do what we want to do and what we felt like we, had needed to do for our whole lives. Um, so yeah, I mean, we had been talking about it, had been thinking about it for months before actually kind of pulling the trigger and, and making that decision. So it definitely wasn't a right. impulsive decision. Let's get into bees now. So I'm curious, was, did the problem come first or did Web3 come first? That we wanna solve something in the, in the engagement space and we know how to do, build this infrastructure for developers and maybe let's solve that, that for Web3 or did the Web3 thing come first? Like, oh, Web3 is going big, let's build something in Web3. Yeah, so the, the problem definitely came first and it, it came from personal experience uh, with me, Parker, and our group of friends who were building together. So 
we uh, at UC Berkeley final semester of school, uh, we run a machine learning class, wanted to take what we had learned in this class and build out an algorithmic trading bot as many people like to do. And so while doing this, we wanted to plug in our crypto accounts, say Coinbase, Binance, Gemini, uh, FTX, rest in peace, all these different places where we held our crypto uh, to kind of do cross cross exchange arbitrage and a variety of other different variables that we were able to extract from this model. And the biggest problem that we had doing this uh, was connecting to all these different exchanges through the APIs that they exposed. All the APIs were so similar, but so different. And so as a developer, trying to get them all to work together in one platform was almost impossible. And so at the time we thought, you know, why is there no standardized API for this? Kind of like a, a plaid for connecting to crypto accounts. Um, looked all over the place. There were a few things, but nothing that could actually enable trades in the way we needed it. Uh, and so this is really the problem and ultimately the idea that we went out and built initially uh, for Peace. This got us into the market, got us great relationships, our investors, everything. And we met, you know, hundreds of people, developers, builders, whatever. And ultimately, we learned that the problem that Peas ended up kind of pivoting into, uh, which is new user onboarding, was much, much bigger and more important to the mission that we ultimately wanted to uh, cater to. And so really kind of what we learned is that new users who come into these Web3 applications uh, are just unable to use them. A lot of cool things are being built in DeFi, NFTs, social, et cetera. But users having to download a wallet, manage their private keys, on-ramp the correct crypto, swap it into maybe the correct asset, bridge, transferred over from their Coinbase, et cetera, et cetera. There are too many steps. Uh, and so we realized that that's really the problem uh, and kind of shifted focus away from what we were previously doing into a more evolved that's version big. of it. I believe that this is exactly the conversation we're having at our offsite because the number one thing and the fundamental thing is if we get someone to create a wallet, where do they store their seed phrase? Like recently, I don't know if you guys came across this particular news, but uh, a cop basically clicked a picture or on his cam, he basically got uh, a person's seed phrase because that person basically wrote down his seed phrase on a piece of paper and it was captured on his cam, on his body cam, basically. So that was crazy. Now everybody knows his seed phrase. So by the way, let's talk about that. There's a lot of conversation around abstracting seed phrase, doing something about it so that we don't put too much pressure on users who were in the habit of just who were not even remembering their passwords. Like my dad doesn't remember any of his passwords now. He's like, I'm just logged in into these apps for like years now. So how do you think about solving this problem? Yeah, so our, our initial kind of angle at this is to capitalize on the login methods that users are already familiar and comfortable with in order to lower that barrier to entry into these different Web3 applications that we work with. So that means using their email, Google, Twitter, Apple, whatever that they already have, being able to single sign on uh, through that. Not even sign up, there's no password required, nothing. Just Click in with Google, your browser usually already has your Google account saved. You off that connection in and now the users uh, it kind of into that. So on top of this, I think we, we hold a lot of responsibility in managing that private key for the users in a safe, non-custodial manner. Uh, we're in the works of integrating something really cool that enables this non-custodial key management paired with the traditional Web2 auth that will truly lower the barrier to entry without compromising on the non-custodiality of that. Private Got key. it. Got it. Falker, do you want to add something over there? No, I mean, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of talk around like kind of the abstraction of the keys that, that is pretty exciting. And like, obviously like, kind of Armand like, outlined how we're, how we're doing that and how we're kind of making it easy. But the idea of account abstraction, I think it's something that we can kind of touch on more throughout this is like really hot in the space. It's really exciting. Um, but there's a lot of technicality behind it that may not actually in, like, in, like, capture the essence of what maybe account abstraction could be, uh, which is what I think we're trying to define right now in, in our own product, which is like true abstraction of the current user experience in Web3. So going to like kind of like the ends of, of the spectrum to, to abstract, you know, the key management, like Armand said, the, the on-ramping, the swapping, really all the layers that are like the, the signing, kind of just all these 
little like tidbits that you need to kind of that stack up that make it difficult to use any application in Web3 right now. So really what we see is like almost like a Web3 abstraction uh, away from these from these dApps that it's still under the hood. Everything is powered in the same essence that it would be um, as if they were present. But instead, you just kind of wrap it in a way that's that's really digestible for new users. And really, so abstracting to like the really like far ends. Uh, with with the idea of being able to then pare down and educate and allow these users to become a little bit more native over time, um, there's a lot more to abstraction than just like simply like gas and and keys. So there's a there's a lot of fun stuff being built right now, and you know we're yeah trying to do the thing. Definitely, man. I think I was thinking a lot about this. We are a decade since Bitcoin paper came out, and even today we are talking about abstraction, simplifying user onboarding. I cannot imagine what people did in 2011, 2012. Like how were they managing their wallets, their seed phrase? keys, gas, like who knew what gas was, like it's crazy. But I'm really curious, can we talk about, or can you help me understand what is actually happening in the backend when a user is, is signing with Twitter or signing with Google? Yeah, so when a user signs in with a Twitter or a Google, their OAuth JWT token is used as authentication paired with some session signing so that the JWT isn't an unlimited open barrier to authenticating for said request. Uh, at any time. So a limited JWT is issued. That JWT is then used to authenticate uh, to the kind of integration of, of private keys that we're building out with a lit protocol, by the way, shout out to them. They're, they're building out some really cool stuff. They've got a decentralized network of nodes um, and we're able to kind of partner with them and build some really interesting things. And so essentially, uh, you know, we can speak on this integration more in more detail, technicality detail when it's complete in the coming weeks, but really that JWT that's issued from the web to auth method is sent up into the cloud of this decentralized network of nodes managed by the protocol. They all use some really cool cryptographic uh, patterns in order to generate a signature from the private key that has been authenticated with that JWT token from Google. Uh, no single party involved in any part of this process knows the private key in its entirety at all. They don't have any of the pieces to recreate the private key in any way. And that JWT, like I was saying, comes in with very limited scopes to do exactly what it was made to do. So kind of pairing, uh, pairing usability with security there to get in what right. we think is an optimal solution. What do you, can you explain like I'm fine, the, how, how the private keys are secured in this entire process? Yeah. So kind of dumbing it down and then explaining it, like, as you said, like you're five, um, think of this network of nodes being uh, a few different people who have a piece of the private key. Um, and when this private key was created again, all of them got a piece of it. So let's say there's, 10 people, they all got a piece of this private key. Um, and when you send up a kind of signature request with that JWT that I've been talking about, you send it up to this network of people and you say, hey, look, I have this transaction that needs to be signed uh, with this authentication token. Can you get it done? They take that authentica authentication token. They verify a few different factors. They say, okay, yes, this is a valid authentication. We know our piece of the private key for that user. So they take the transaction and then they sign it using their piece. That piece in, it, in and of itself is essentially garbage. Um, and that piece even paired with one or two or three other people is still garbage. There's a th certain threshold of combination that needs to come together for those signatures to be essentially valid. So let's say the threshold is set to 66%, two thirds. So seven out of those 10 people will need to give their share. Then you can put them all together. And then that signature is a valid signature to then broadcast to the blockchain. And that's when that transaction Makes goes sense. live. That's, that, that, that is wonderful. That will help me understand a lot of things. Okay. Uh, now... You definitely mentioned that you talked to a bunch of developers. What were you learning over there? How long did it take? How long did you actually do the user research? And when did it struck that, all right, this is what we're doing? I mean, I'd, I'd say the learning process is still ongoing. Um, yeah. There's, it's such an evolving industry that 
every day new research is coming out, uh, new platforms are being developed and really kind of new theses are being kind of like brought to market. And so we're constantly learning kind of how, like how things are evolving and what we can kind of do to support that. And so I'd say that, you know, early on when we were building like the initial API that like Armand was talking about, it was a lot of understanding, you know, where it could fit in and like what was, what was kind of like the, the pain points in the industry. And there's a lot of focus right now on, on building the tech side and the infrastructure to, to power these applications. Uh, but then what we kind of discovered was that it, the, the fault lies in, in how the user is actually interacting with these applications. And so that, that was kind of like the inflection point of what gave us conviction to build this iteration of P's, which was, you know, how can we, like, how can we focus and, and really like hone in on the user experience part of it? And so now what it is, is really like, like discussing with these dApps and these developers and, and people that are kind of building new stuff is how can you, how can you balance uh, a, like a, this like decentralization, like, like very like web three dogmatic uh, like end of the spectrum and then fill it in with an experience or an onboarding mechanism or some sort of, you know, operational like kind of handholding for these new users to, to use this new wave of, of, of applications inevitably. And so, yeah, that's kind of been, that's been the user research that we've been kind of doing like pretty aggressively. And, but it's been fun because you get some people that are, you know, very, you know, to one end of the, of the web three side where it's like, we're like not like, you know, any sort of web two interaction or, or, or discussion of any web two generational technology is like off limits. Uh, but then there's right. some, some, some side that's like, there's, there is a balance that can be achieved. And then you can also like, for exactly like what we're doing, like it may appear on the front end that it's fairly web too. It's, you know, social authentication, like users are, are funding their transactions with fiat payment methods, credit card and bank accounts. That's very web too. But when you think about under the hood, everything that's happening, it's very decentralized, very blockchain oriented, very like, like, like up to par with kind of the ethos of what, of what we're doing. But it's all a matter of like, you can still build really interesting technology while making it usable and so i think that's what we're trying to like, gauge is how can we how can we build together to find this good balance um or just educate in, in, a, in a good way so there's kind of two users it's like the developer user the tool and then like the actual end users of the application so there's, there's a lot that goes into it right i'm curious like do you have an inspiration who is doing something really good in web3 and also simplifying it for users using a very simple language uh using a really good design that you have your, your product or your thought process is inspired by Armand, you got anything That's a good question. You know, the, I don't have a web three company off the top of my mind, but um, some of the ways that Stripe enabled developers to easily receive payments uh, from end users and really that focus on the user experience, the developer experience and having just a very clean and simple and elegant brand around that uh, is something that we take a lot of inspiration from. So that's, that's kind of the, the immediate thing that comes to mind and a lot of stuff that we've looked at is, is Stripe okay. for inspiration. When I first look at the website, the first thought that came to my mind was peace is Web3 Stripe. Would you go with that tagline? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's to, okay. So to some degree, yes, uh, because what we do is enable developers to Web3 developers to receive payments or have flow of funds coming into their dApps, into their smart contracts uh, very, very easily from a user experience perspective. Uh, you know, dollars to DeFi uh, and, you know, fiat to smart contract is kind of the, the metric that we gauge towards, right? Getting that uh, time to transaction or those funds into smart contracts or taking those dollars to DeFi as quickly and as easily as possible. Users should be able to do it in one click, right? So, or I guess two clicks, sign in with their Google wallet, put down the credit card, confirm, and it's done. So it, in terms of the streamlined payments aspect of it, then yes, Stripe for Web3 or a, a crypto Stripe is... On par. Got it. But, but is there any other things that you're doing that Stripe isn't doing? Yeah, I mean, uh, 
I think right. the wallet side of things is the, the, the wallet in Web3 is a whole new paradigm, right? It's, it's a way that users can kind of carry their, their identity and their funding and everything around with them across the web. And so in a lot of ways, that I think puts kind of like a wrench into the analogy of like we're a strike for Web3, but maybe that's just the evolution. Now, I know Parker might have, have some more stuff to add there, but Parker. that's my take. No, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with the kind of the wallet side of it, because I mean, ultimately, I think that's the, that's the difference in the, in the iteration is that in, in Web2, you have a, a particular account for a particular app um, and that app may or may not be funded by Stripe. Whereas in, in Web3, your, your identity tra traverses across the ecosystem. So, you know, really, you know, say if you're on the EVM, you have a singular wallet that can operate across any EVM application. Um, what we're really going for with Peas is, is, a, is a building an account mechanism that allows your, you know, your identity to traverse across any ecosystem. So, you know, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but like I say, it's like, like you know, the ultimate vision is to be cross-chain, multi-chain, like support all ecosystems. So the EVM, like the Solana ecosystem, Cosmos is something that's really exciting like out here in New York. It's kind of like the buzz right now. Um, but, but so, I mean, the idea of, of like building that, that account that allows you to kind of store all your history, whether it be memberships, subscriptions, um, you know, your, your NFTs or just like, or in your assets and to be able to self-host that um, is something that's, you know, really kind of this new, new wave of tech that I, I, you couldn't even compare it to a web two. like I have a web two analogy to it. Um, but that's kind of what makes it really exciting is that you can kind of pair, you know, what happened, you know, kind of some of the sins of web two um, and, and evolve and kind of, you know, build on top of that in web three. Definitely. Definitely. Now, did we miss anything about talking about the Web3 user onboarding experience? What's good about it? What's bad about it? Just want to make sure. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we hit hit a few of the, or most of the pieces there. Parker, unless you think anything's missing. Trying to think. I mean, it's, I think we can, I, I think one thing that would be interesting, and I, I'd, I'd be curious to get your take on this, is a lot of kind of like the new vocabulary, vocabulary that's being built and kind of like coined in, in web three and in terms of user experience there's so much more that goes into it aside from just like a sign-on and payment mechanism but how they're understanding you know, you know what the product that they're interacting is like what is minting what is like how like how are they generating yield yield isn't a novel thing for web three but hmm. you know some of these pools are like these liquidity pools like that's a very novel thing for web three so i think some part of the something that needs to be brought up with like ux and web three is, is also education and or normalization of some of these terms um, that we can maybe some that may need to stay um, just for terms of like technical explanation or some that might not be so as, as beneficial um, for the, the necessity of onboarding new users. So curious to hear what you're seeing, especially from a messaging protocol too, um, how you're making it easy for people to kind of understand and collaborate and, and know what's going on and get them really up to speed with this new kind of new tech. Definitely. I believe, so again, XMTP is a protocol and infrastructure layer for developers. So developers understand what XMTP is, but we are definitely working with front-end clients. So right now, XMTP is working with a lot of social apps, Web3 social apps like Orb, Favor. And what is happening over there is they, like Orb is doing something very interesting, which I absolutely love. Like they have a specific page. It's just like Web3 Twitter. Like think about Web3 Twitter, but it has one specific page, which is all about user education. And then they have very short lessons over there. This is NFT 101, this is Minting 101. So I believe that is what is working. Like they, at the end of the, at, at the end, they also give you to give you a free NFT. Everybody wants a free NFT right now. Uh, so I believe that's a great way to educate people that, hey, this is your incentive, free NFT, and this is a very simplified way to help you understand all the slangs that are being used. Like, I believe a lot of people are confused about the word staking because even really big, especially in Canada, really big uh, financial apps like Wellsimple, they have introduced staking. 
So they are also doing a good, good job at explaining people that, guys, this is what shaking is. Once you put in your Ethereum, you cannot take out. Even we don't know the timeline. So they are doing a good job at explaining people the risks, the, the, the fundamentals of what this is. So, yeah. Are you seeing anybody who is doing a really good job at user education? Yeah, I would say two that we've that we've talked to and liked and, and appreciate what they're building is probably uh, Layer Three and One Hundred One. Um, layer Three more on the kind of active um, education of it, where it's like you're kind of showing them how to use like protocols or how to use applications and kind of like a step by step field guide, if you will. Um, and then whereas One Hundred One is more like quiz traditional like education based where it's like here's some information um you know allowing a, a ton of application any application really to come along create uh like an informative you know kind of presentation for the user and then at the end there's a, a little interactive quiz so that's kind of a, a cool way to earn earn points and rewards um and really kind of get up to speed pretty quickly and then kind of once you're familiar i think there's a cool way to kind of start diving in more and, and getting your, your hands dirty in, in the ecosystem so those are two that come to mind armand i don't know if there's anything else Nope, those two are those two are great, and they give out those free NFTs that we all exactly. love. As exactly, exactly. I also dropped a free NFT for, to get people to test XMTV.chat, and it worked. It just blew up. <laughs> let's maybe go. it's something that we need to hey, let's go. <laughs> it's definitely useful apps. Yeah, useful apps to airdrop uh, NFTs. But proof anyways, yeah, proof of peace. Let's go. Pop, <laughs> drop some pops. <laughs> uh, okay, I forgot the thing I wanted to ask you guys, but okay, got it. Uh, Arman, you mentioned that one of the North Star metrics for you, just confirming, is time to transaction. I would love to know more about this. Like, what is your thought process over there and why is that metric important for peace? Yeah, yeah. That metric, I think, is really important, not just for us here at Peace, but for the ecosystem as a whole. And really like a user experience metric that's been used for the past 10, 20, 30 years, uh, if you will, right? You want your user to be able to accomplish the call to action and finish that kind of pipeline as quickly as possible. So right now, uh, let's say you're a user in some environment and you want to, let's say, buy something or deposit something. Uh, and, you know, Parker, you can give some more specific DeFi examples after I give my kind of general spiel. But if it's on a specific chain, you're going to need a specific token. So what the user is going to do is that they're going to go buy the chain's base token. Let's just say it's Ethereum. So they buy Ethereum and they have to either use a third-party widget like MoonPay Transact uh, they'll receive up to five, six percent fees on top of that, or they'll have a Coinbase. The Coinbase might have a withdrawal period on that. So if they have a Coinbase and they buy, let's say, hundred bucks worth of ETH, they can't withdraw that for a few days. There has to be some kind of clearing thing. Even if they do, they have to paste in their address. The funds get sent. They have to wait. Let's say that they somehow get ETH into their wallet after all these different steps. Great. Now this environment, you can't use ETH. You have to have some ERC twenty to operate within this environment. So the user goes to, let's say, Uniswap or 1inch, they swap that ETH into an ERC-20, but they also have to remember that the gas for said application is an ETH. So you can't swap all of it. You have to keep a little bit of ETH. But how much ETH? Who knows? You just got to have enough. But if you have too much, you could have swapped it. So let's say the user swaps a good amount of ERC-20 or ETH into ERC-20. They've got that. Now they've got their ETH, and now they're ready to operate. So they can now sign a transaction. Usually wallets are pretty uninformative about the transaction messaging, right? You've got hashes, you've got block numbers, you've got all the scary stuff. And the list just keeps going on. I mean, I just described, what, six steps in order for a user to just deposit $100, right? Or buy something for $100. Uh, you can take this example back into Web2 world where imagine if it took this many steps to deposit $100 into Robinhood and buy Apple stock. Or if this is how many steps it took to buy a skin in Fortnite. It's when you kind of say it out loud and you think about it, it's pretty ridiculous. And so software is meant to make the world easier. Software is meant to make people's lives better and, and just products flow better. 
And so for us, it's about tucking all of these steps that I described under the hood, automating it in a way so that the user just does that one-click transaction. They came to the app to use the app. They did not come to the app to swap and bridge and buy and sell and do all this stuff. And so for us, it's about streamlining all that so that the user just comes along. They put down the credit card or the bank account. They click confirm, and what they want to do just gets done with it. Perfect. I when you're explaining that, this is what exactly what my thought process goes back to. That hey, what? Like I cannot imagine that for last ten years or eight years there have been people who have been actually doing this. They have been waiting for a transaction to happen for thirty minutes, one hour. That's crazy. Like I remember when I had to get the NFT as my PFP on Twitter. I had it. I had an NFT. I created an OpenSea, but I had no idea how to get it on Twitter. It took me two months until I got Rainbow Wallet, and then I sent myself that NFT. And that's when I got that hexagon thing. But it's crazy. I'm curious that what happens to, or how do you think about users who haven't had a wallet yet? What is the, the user experience for them when they're using fees? They are signing, signing in with Twitter or Google, let's say, but does that create a wallet for them? What is happening over there? Yeah, so under the hood, it is creating a wallet for them. Uh, but the way that we're creating the user experience isn't a way that makes it obvious to them that it's a wallet. This is really just another you know, Web3 or Web2 account. Um, and in the way that we're actually portraying it, the user is signing in with Google. So they're going to feel like they just signed in with their Google account to whatever application they're in. Um, and I think maybe taking a step back and kind of analyzing how this product fits into the market and the products mm -hmm. that we work with might be helpful here. Um, because, you know, at the beginning, we spent a lot of time thinking, okay, this is the problem. What's the best way to go about the solution? How can we kind of distribute our solution in the most efficient way, et cetera? We settled on building out an SDK that serves as a user experience stack for developers. Developers will take this SDK, they'll integrate it into their app. It's meant to be fully compatible with traditional ethers and Web3.js signer objects. So it's not disruptive to the developer experience implemented in just a few lines of code. And once that's there, if a user follows the call to action that the developer places, let's say it's log in or sign in or get started or whatever, they'll click that, the Peas portal will pop up. But this Peas portal isn't meant to be a Peas wallet, a Peas account, none of that. It's meant to be completely embedded within the app that it's in. So the developer will customize this widget to have their logo, their colors, their title, everything. So the user says, okay, I'm signing into this application. They'll do it with Google. And once the signing process is done, they're good to go. Under the hood, the wallet has either been generated for them or we've tagged that off method to the wallet that has previously been generated for that user. And now with any Peas enabled application, the user can repeat this process that I explained, but they're signing into these different applications that just so happen to have Peas kind of powering that infrastructure that manages this wallet got and this login. It, so it's also sort of creating a lock-in, a very good mode for you guys, that once you logged in via Peas to an app, under the hood, a wallet has been generated for you. And now it's one wallet that is assigned to your Google or Twitter account. Now, whichever app you go to, that wallet goes with you. Is that correct? Yeah. And not, and not only that too, once you enter your payment information as well, it becomes really easy to have that one click experience hmm. where say I'm, I say I sign into an NFT marketplace for the first time. That's where the wallet's created. I'll buy an NFT. Great. So I have my, I have my credit card locked in, but now I want to go to this DeFi protocol, say it's an AMM and then I'm going there. Okay. I want to, I want to put, you know, 500 bucks in this liquidity pool. It's going to operate. It's going to be like a high yield savings account for me. Right. And instead of having to re-enter all of your information, all you do is like, all right, I want approve, like enter it. And then your, your credit card's already hooked up. So it gets you know, that's what's getting, that's what's funding that transaction. So it's allowing for really like, again, like that identity to traverse and be really easy to use any of these applications. Cause that's, that's the whole goal here is to allow like your, your, your payment methods, which is ultimately crypto, you know, your identity to, to be usable across applications and across the ecosystem. So, yep. This is great, man. This, what we just talked about, the one click experience, this got me super excited because as, as I just mentioned before, my dad 
he doesn't even remember his passwords for Google or Twitter. And there are millions and billions of people like that. And they don't want another thing to worry about. So we definitely need something like peace, maybe just the peace. And when you talk monthly experience, the company that comes to your mind is fast. So maybe you guys are building Web3 fast. Not sure if you know about fast.com. <laughs> Do you guys know about fast.com? You know, that heard of it, but not uh, very familiar. Oh, okay. Okay. So Web3 fast or fast.com was the company which was offering one clear experience across all the, uh, across all the e-commerce apps that are out there, which are not built on Shopify. And they grew fast and they went down fast. Uh, if you don't know the story, that's very interesting and you should check it out. It's like, a, no, you're right. I do remember their, their CEO. They, they raised a ton of money, crazy valuations. Yeah, so now, now it just me tells out. me how fast my, my Wi-Fi is going right now. <laughs> the web fast.com at least. <laughs> nice. But, you know, you, you bring up a good point. Um, and, and the team always talks about this. There are maybe a few hundred thousand active people in Web3. Um, and that's a generous statement. I mean, I, one of our good friends at Pool Together just retweeted something on Twitter the other day that showed kind of the active users on the top protocols. And the highest one was OpenSea with 70,000 active users. So you compare this to over 5 billion monthly active users on the internet uh, and the disparity between the, the volume is frankly embarrassing, right? And we know there's really cool things being built in our ecosystem. Why are they not being used? Why is the retention not there? Uh, why is the... It just it doesn't make sense until you start to look at the user experience. You start to put yourself in other people's shoes who aren't crypto native, who aren't technologically savvy, who are just normal people. They're the masses. They cannot handle the private keys, swap, bridge, on ramp, off ramp, do all this kind of stuff. So we're hoping to bridge the seventy thousand to to five billion. Yeah. Definitely, man. Definitely, man. It's also very interesting that considering that the friction that these guys had, who are currently the active users, I believe that they definitely believe they are the believers of Web3. If they went through all that struggle, all that friction, just to use this one small app, which means that they definitely believe in it. And maybe they have some sort of use case that they care about. So it's great that Web3 has started by these believers that help it grow, that help it understand the use case better, maybe build the core product better. And now it's all about simplifying and just building retention for the next billion. That's interesting. Yeah. With P's, as much of the abstraction as we're trying to do for the new user experience, we, we don't want to eliminate the true Web3 experience, which is the self-custody wallet, which is kind of like this crypto native experience. Um, that's how, like, like I was saying, how we fell in love with Web3, how we really got introduced into the ecosystem. And so, you know, to kind of like have harmoniously build with that and still enable that and slash even enable our own users to, to go down that path, because truly that, that self-custody is the kind of like that North Star, that goal. Like we want everybody to to own their own assets, to own their own identity and to like, have that experience be the capable um but so in terms of like the like that, that self-custody phase there's i think there's a, there's room for both so in terms of like that seventy thousand, you know a couple hundred thousand active user mark you know there we're not we're not trying to take away their experience from web3 but what we're really trying to do is you know actually bring more users and more value into the applications that they do really like um and make it so that you know those people can kind of see the same benefits um, but just in a little bit more of a digestible way and so i think there's definitely a way that we can reach that parity that makes sense. I'm, I'm really curious, like how do you guys think about, so people will use peace, that's how they will abstract their private keys, that's how they'll abstract the entire concept of wallet. How do you see yourself helping them out with the non-custodial aspect? So you're asking kind of how we'd help them take that full self-custody that we strive to get to. Exactly. Yeah, that's going to be a, I think a, a big kind of user experience and educational challenge that we're up for. It's really a matter of kind of like I was saying earlier, instead of fire hosing people with information, 
trickling that information to them slowly over time. And as they get more comfortable, then they can kind of understand, oh, self-custody is really powerful. This is how I can become a true self-custodian of my assets. And uh, we can we can get that to them. But I, I think it's a challenge that we don't have a true answer or a challenge that we don't have a true answer to yet, but we definitely will soon. Definitely, because this is where I look up to Coinbase as to th- what their strategy was. They went for a centralized exchange and now they are like there was a huge debate I know within Coinbase that should we go for Coinbase wallet or not. And then they slowly started building the Coinbase wallet. And now it makes a lot of sense that, yeah, it took it took users one year, two years of just using a centralized exchange, buying Bitcoin, buying Ethereum. And now that they understand this concept of like they heard the concept, not your keys, not your assets not your crypto, whatever. But now after FTX, they actually understand the meaning of not your keys, not your assets. And now they have an option that, hey, if you're in advanced stage, go for crypto, go for Coinbase wallet. So I believe that's a really good strategy. Maybe you might see a piece wallet in future, two years, three years down the road. It's definitely something we've discussed. So yeah, might be the way. Oh yeah, let's not drop some alpha over here. Uh, but okay, oh, Arman, one thing you mentioned was there are many proclaimed use cases of Web3, but do we know which one of them is actually viable? So what is your thought over there? Look, so you know, Parker and I are true believers in DeFi. It's ultimately what we think the use case for crypto. Um, a lot of the kind of, especially here in the United States and just the Western world in general, a lot of the, the crypto use cases that we're seeing are nice to have and they're really cool. Um, but when you take DeFi and you apply it to a lot of the parts of the world that we are kind of ignorant and naive to, DeFi and, and financial liberation is a matter of life and death. You get people who will protest against tyrannical governments and have their bank accounts frozen. They can't feed their kids. They can't get the medical help they need. It is life or death for people. And so advancing DeFi uh, to any degree that we can um, is truly the mission and the use case that we get the most fired up and excited about because we are so passionate uh, about that. So that's kind of the, the big answer I can give. What we think is kind of cool and interesting uh, in the space, you know, I grew up gaming a lot. I think Web3 gaming, if done correctly uh, and over time, can be really, really big and really interesting. And um, NFTs can also be applied, I think, as an umbrella. I think NFTs and, and Web3 gaming falls under NFTs to a certain degree. So if NFTs can kind of evolve past the, the profile picture phase that it went through and the kind of pump and dumps, we can see some really cool applications and disruptions that Web3 pushes forward. Makes sense. I'm really curious. What do you think about Web3 messaging? <laughs> Web3 messaging, I mean, end-to-end encryption is, I think, huge. And, you know, the private keys with, so the private keys that users have uh, as a result of their wallets, it's like a no-brainer to have that kind of end-to-end encryption through these messaging protocols just ingrained in that. Um, so a huge, huge believer in all of that. And I think if if it's done correctly, done well, we get some nice, clean user experience. So, for example, you guys at XMTP providing that infrastructure for other developers to then come build front ends on top of is definitely the way to go. And that's kind of the same angle that we're taking, right? We want to provide this infrastructure that enables uh, a broad use case and then developers can come in and make what they want of it and ultimately it explodes. And this is also kind of similar to just the Apple and App Store as, as kind of a touchy subject as that might be. Um, Apple had a ton of users. They have this platform that a lot of users had eyeballs to. They said, okay, developers, instead of us just building out our own custom apps, let's open up the floodgates, let people build what they want on top of what we've already built. And I mean, we saw some world-changing products like Uber come out of that. So really excited about anybody building any sort of infrastructure that enables developers to be imaginative, creative, and change the world. Definitely. Parker, do you want to add something? No, he, he can't, can't, don't want to top on top, go on top of that. <laughs> yeah, can, uh, that's, that's, that's two impressive uh, statements. But okay, I'm curious, 
I'm really curious to know now, like how many developers are using these? Where is these being integrated right now? How many are you working with? What use cases are do you see these being used a lot? Uh, I'm really curious about your market adoption now. Whatever you could share. Yeah. So we are. Yeah. We'll we'll keep it kind of concise. We're in beta right now, working with a handful of developers that we've kind of grown a friendship relationship with, getting that critical feedback. But the next few weeks and the next few months have a lot of exciting things in store for us. And we're, we're gonna be pushing the, the gas on getting this out there and getting into the hands of different ecosystems and protocols that, again, we've grown close to and grown relationships with. So kind of to sum that up in beta right now, but uh, the next few months, especially within Q1 of this year are, are gonna be very exciting. You know, Got it. On top of that, we're we're not we're not like honing in on one particular you know vertical. I think we're fairly you know broadly applicable to the ecosystem and pretty agnostic in terms of who we want to support. And ultimately, you know, in startup phase, you need to find your niche and see what kind of where you can you know really dig into. But I think right now, it's it's just as important that we see where we're going to offer the most value and and how much we can truly support. I think at the infancy of the industry as Web three as a whole, like Web three in itself is kind of a vertical, right? Um, and so there's, it's, it's pretty easy to, to cater towards each of these use cases in a way. Um, but it's just a matter of understanding who's building, what they're building, um, and then really uh, like growing out from there. Because I think that the end goal is like, like I said, we're not, we're not building this to be kind of like a one-off account thing where you go to one app, it's, you know, it lives there, you know, really we want to do, we do want to build this piece ecosystem that is a part and a foundational part of web three, um, that we can really, truly like, like open up these users to a broad spectrum of applications. Um, and so I think. Yeah, just, it, it's fun to see how, how passionate people are about building in, in this space and to be able to collaborate with them and see how we can kind of, you know, tinker here and there and build things with them. Um, and then just honestly get feedback across like from end to end. Um, that's really why we're here um, in, in building this space. I think that's, like, that's the fun part of being at a, at, a, at a young industry is that there's a lot of room for growth and a lot of room to learn um, and, and a lot of cool stuff that's going to come out in these, in these next few months and, and years. Definitely, man. Super excited. I think when I talk to a lot of people, a lot of people ask me about the Web3 situation. I'm like, yeah, give it a time. This two, three years is are the years of experimentation. This is the year of experimentation. A lot of experimentation will happen. We are not saying that everything over here is right. Everything will be successful, but we will learn, fail, and we will learn a lot about incentive structures. We'll learn a lot about how tokenomics work or how what use cases work, not work. And yeah, we'll slowly keep on implementing. Definitely. Uh, I'm curious, like I was looking at your logo. What's the thought process over there? A lot of things are going on. What was the idea behind it? So we we worked with a really good friend and, and designer on that. Um, her name's Jamie Gannon at TechBimbo on, on Twitter and Instagram. She's been great in helping us design the logo and just the general brand and marketing of our product as a whole. But really, we, we had a previous piece logo. Um, and we also have some kind of, I think, egg easter eggs in that logo so if you take a look the kind of carrots of the developer that's very iconic mm -hmm. they're slightly shifted up and down and then we've kind of got the just slash in the middle for aesthetics with the mosaic around the logo that uh, as, as jamie and us kind of collaborated on does represent the interconnectivity of like web3 and the infrastructure that we're building to push that connection through the ecosystem interesting i thought I was thinking about it like there is some thought process behind this which is interesting uh now let's talk about the most important thing over here what's the story behind raising two million dollars during a major crypto downturn yeah this is <laughs> yeah this is uh it's a it's kind of one of those things where it's the the most bittersweet one of the one of the best things that you never want to do again um interesting but it was a great experience very very good learning experience and i think you know once once you go through something at the bottom and everybody, anybody in Web3 right now is doing it at the bottom, right? Mm. And it could keep going down, but we're all here for it. So when you do something, when it's 
at that kind of stage, then it's all up from here, right? So, you know, Parker, if you want to give the spiel, yeah, then it's, you can get we'll, after we'll it. We'll give you the origin story, and it, it's, it all starts with the college buddy. Um, so we had, we had a friend in college who was who – was... <laughs> He was quite quite the entrepreneur himself. He, he went through our accelerator program at Berkeley. Um, he was always just kind of like coming up with you know fun ideas on the side. Come kind of like end of school, like early graduate like post graduation era, he was he was building this like men's grooming like beard oils and hair hair products um, e commerce site. And he was in he was his, he's based in New Jersey. He was getting a haircut out there in Jersey and was just talking to the barber. He was like you know hey I have this this cool product. I think you should definitely use it. Um, and then connected with the guy on LinkedIn so they could maintain comms and saw that this barber was connected to this this like really cool like at the time e-commerce investor. And he's like I need to meet this guy. Like this is like it seems like a guy I just I need to talk to understand like he's an OG in the e-commerce space. Um, we should get linked up. And so the guy you know kind of his, was. Chris Quinn, uh, absolute legend. He, he kind of kicked off his whole thing. Was was the was the guy he got he got looped up to. And so when we kind of started, we quit our jobs. Like, all right, how are we gonna do this whole funding thing? We asked our buddy John, like, hey, you know, we like, don't have a huge network of VCs. We don't like we don't have like this big family office in our back pocket that we can just see like our our our, our, you know, our idea on in a few weeks. And so we're like, who should we talk to? And Chris was the first person that he put us in touch with, um, and instantly just like was just so passionate about what we're doing and so supportive of us as young founders and was like let me put you in touch with like my whole network. And, you know, the three intros that he gave us after that end up kind of being our first initial chunk of our round. And so it, it really all started, like he started in a barbershop essentially, essentially. That's crazy. Um, so, <laughs> you know, there's, there's more that, you know, we can tack on to after that, but yeah, that's, that was kind of like the, the humble beginnings. We quit our jobs in February, um, raised an initial chunk um, kind of towards the end of April. And that was, that was kind of how we started. Armand, you can kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So we, Quit our jobs in February. We raised a little over a million dollars within nine weeks, uh, which was a roller coaster. Uh, stuff moved super fast, like I mentioned at the beginning of this call. Um, but you know, within nine weeks from February, if you kind of do the math, it's like, oh, that's around the end of April, May. That's when the Luna crash happened. And then, as we all know, every two, three, four weeks after that, something bad would happen—a hack, a breach, this, that, boom, boom, boom—all the different Luna dominoes falling through. And it, you know, every other week now, it's still happening. And so, we were still raising through that. We realized and understood that we needed to raise a bigger round than we had anticipated because it's going to be a long bear market. We want to be safe. We want to make sure that this company can kind of see the light at the end of, uh, of this market shift that we're seeing. So we never stopped raising. Uh, we were like, nope, we're going to keep taking meetings. We're going to keep hammering this in. And the next, you know, from April, which is when we had gotten those kind of checks, we took in maybe one or two in, in May or June, small checks. Uh, and then all the way until September, uh, we got about 115 no's. So met with 115 investors. No, 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 no. Boom, 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 boom. Morale was pretty low, but we kept pushing. We knew we had to do this. We had assembled the team. So now we have employees depending on us to get these funds, to give them the livelihood and the experience that they deserve because they're such great team members uh, and just push through. And then in the middle of September, finally got that last check that kind of sealed up the round and uh, got us to where we're at today. Crazy story. Crazy story. I think I learned two things from this, or I have two notes. Number one, ask your buddy John to send me some beard oil. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, let's take note of it. <laughs> number two, uh, the, I see now the importance of, I've started observing importance of jobs like barber and Uber driver, where in your daily life, you're getting constantly in touch with so many different variety of people. You're learning so much about people. And if you go in with the right mindset, you could do some good things with it because you're building some really solid connections over there. Yeah, and I think one thing that, we have to kind of also talk on is like the co-founder relationship as well. I mean, I think that Armand and I are very, very lucky and very blessed, like have been best friends before just going into venture and then having really like the startup 
bring us closer, but it's important that like, when you're considering like going through, especially like a downturn, like that you, you can't, you know, the whole, the whole Mike Tyson quote, it's like, you know, everyone has a game plan before they get punched in the mouth. It's like being able to have someone that you can rely on and trust to like keep, like, like I'm on said, like after 115 no's, morale's pretty low. But when you, when you go into like, into this idea, into this like lifestyle of like starting companies, it needs to be with someone that you really trust and value. And I think that's something that like, I don't know, we're lucky, like we're, like we're, we're stoked to be building. Um, but especially in this downturn, like for like founders, like that, like, or, like listen, or ultimately that we talk to, it's always important just to, like, and like prioritize that first. Cause ultimately, you know, if, if you guys quit, um, that's like, that's the end. It's not, no matter like you're not going to get killed. No one's going to come out, mm. come out here and like take you guys out and like kill the company. Um, ultimately it's just a matter of like how many times can, can you take those punches? Um, and it's a lot easier when you, when you have someone that you, that you truly care about and that you like are doing it with as a family. Definitely. I would love to know, like, since you're getting into the founder relationship, what's the overall notion, the vibe like in this bear market as a Web3 founder? The vibe in the Web3 market is, I think, quite electric. And the reason I think it's electric isn't because there's a ton of money flowing around, isn't because there's acquisitions and big booms and big bull runs or anything like that. But really the ecosystem right now, anybody who's here is here for the right reasons, right? They're not here chasing anything. They're not here for clout. They're not here for any of that. If they were, they'd, uh, they would have moved on to AI, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they're here because they they have a real reason to. And as a result, um, and you know, we, we started this right before the, the crash happened, but at the peak of the bull is when we started. And so it was really exciting. I think now looking back, it's exciting to see the shift in all the people that we spoke to before the crash. There was definitely a lot more, you know, to be quite frank, just bullshit uh, when you'd meet with people and it was, pretty irritating, but now uh, everyone you speak to is working on very legitimate things for the right reasons. And as a result, uh, if you're in this for the right reasons, it's, it's amazing. When you say at the peak, there was a lot of bullshit. Can you please define bullshit? Yeah, I mean, just, you can know, you give an example? Uh, yeah. we, I mean, you can talk about, you can talk about all like that. I mean, we won't, we won't name specific names, but like anything built on these like high yield uh, protocols, like basically it was just like kind of Ponzanomics. Um, that was just like one thing built on top of another that was pro over promising yields. You know, I think we saw that in, I mean, one thing that we will name is like Celsius, obviously it's like you're built on top of this one protocol that's promising yields. They're taking cuts. It's like, there's not a whole lot actually going on that's being built. You're basically just rebranding, redeploying with, you know, fake numbers that's, that aren't really based on some of the actual math that's, that goes into that. Um, and so now in, nowadays it's like one, you have, you know, the idea of any sort of regulation coming out, um, but more so like you don't, you want to avoid that right now. And so like, I think that Armand said, the people that are in the space are doing it for the right reasons. You're not seeing these people that are just trying to make a quick buck. There's no pump and dumps really going on right now because people aren't trying to deploy capital into the space. Um, but that gives you time to like, be, like to iterate, to build into kind of like innovate on top of those, like the, the kind of the previous mistakes and go to market, kind of re go to market uh, with valuable products that can, that are sustainable, that are up to par, that are based on true math. Um, and so I think that's where, that's what I think is what we mean now where it's, it's pretty exciting because like our people that are in the space right now truly care about going through the next bull. Obviously there's personal incentive to go into it, but really it's like everybody that's in web three is, is also like, you know, cares about like the tech that's being built, cares about the industry, cares about the other founders in the space. You know, I think someone, someone said it in a really cool way where there's really no competition in web three. There's just like, you know, collaborative people that are kind of pushing you to improve on your product because everybody's like giving each other tips and ideas, whether it's the same vertical, same, like, same really overall product, everybody's kind of wants it to succeed. If one, if one or two succeed, we all succeed. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where we're at now. That is so true. That is so true. I believe this collaborative approach, think about this right now, I'm in telegram groups where all the web three social media apps are 
in this Telegram group. All the founders are in this group. That's literally like having Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk now, and like Snapchat's founder, Evan Spiegel, having them in the same group talking about how to improve the space. That's crazy. It is. Yeah. I would love to know, like, uh, when you say collaboration, what sort of collaboration have you seen? Uh, like, can you give an example of how the space is helping you guys out with pushing peace to the limits? Pushing peace. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's been an OG, like, a little insider. But um, interesting. I think, I mean, I think we see, I think DeFi is probably the most obviously collaborative because a lot of them can kind of, like, intermingle their, like, their protocols together to create, like, some really cool... Um, applications and so i think that's one thing where you see a lot of like these different strategies baked into one into one like kind of front end um and some of them kind of you know utilize some of like the you know say like one one like one dex is, is built on multiple swapping mechanisms so it allows you to get the best routes i think there's some cool stuff that can be built there and so DeFi is one of those spaces that in order to optimize for liquidity and, and some of the time like time to, to finality um that's some, there's some cool ways that they can collaborate there um anything else coming to your mind Armand? No, not specifically. I mean, the, the Telegram example you said with all the social media applications is like the pinnacle of the, an example of what we're talking about. People who are directly competitive are putting that aside and realizing that the overall mission and goal of pushing Web3 into the hands of as many people as possible is more important than any singular company beating out any other singular company. So, yeah, I mean, we're even we're in some Telegram groups as well. And there's several wallets inside of, inside of these chats. And every time there's a new feature or a new update or, or something or a new one that comes out, they post about it. And there's really like genuine feedback from these other wallet founders that, although competitive, um, you, I mean, every time you log into a Web3 DApp, you, you don't see one wallet option. There's, I mean, at this point, like 20 and like that right. kind of pop up. So it's like, you know, it's kind of pick your poison right, right now. Uh, maybe poison is not the best way to put it, but <laughs> depends on the way you look at it. Um, but like, there's, there's some good collaboration going on there where like, if people like people are, are are curious about the infrastructure, they're curious about your key management system if you're not custodial. Um, the on-ramping space is a really interesting one right now because uh, like the way that you're kind of seeing it, again, there's like five on-ramps baked, baked into one wallet. So it's all about optionality and like just how can we somehow reduce friction how can we create a better user experience whether it's through like healthy competition uh collaboration or you know whatever like just or partnership there's a lot of ways that any of these projects are kind of working together i'm curious do you see these working with wallet connect yeah we've gotten this question a few times um and i'll say that it so you know we'd have to work on the user experience to make that flow work in a way that makes mm -hmm. sense. Ultimately, the the way that we view just the landscape and, and really going forward how mass adoption is going to work is that users go to the application for the app and not the wallet itself. And, and, and by this, I mean, they don't set up a MetaMask first and then realize that they can use the MetaMask for applications. So they're, for the next you know few years, few months, however you want to view it, a lot of users are going to be going to these applications with no P's, no wallet at all. And so focusing on onboarding new users and helping retain those users as much as possible is probably a bigger goal than kind of getting into, into these existing connectability routes. Although we've explored Wallet Connect, explored how it could potentially just be an easier avenue for us to be plugged into more applications, et cetera. So we're exploring it, never, never opposed to Wallet Connect by any means. Definitely, definitely. Because I see a couple of ways uh, to work together. One could be simply that, hey, are you a pro or you're a new crypto user? If you're a pro, go, go to all these wallets. But if you are a new, let's go, let's go peace. Definitely one way I've thought about it. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, I believe I, one thing I'm just curious about is other than these, other than what you are focused on, what is something else in the Web3 space that is catching your eye right now? I would say, I mean, <clears throat> I think we, we put out a poll recently um, and we were kind of like off into like what, what we thought were going to lead to the next bowl. Um, first was DeFi. Um, and then aside from NFTs and, and gaming, it was, it was actually Web2 adoption or so Web2 use cases. And so I think it's something that maybe we're not personally like motivated by, but more so just intrigued to see how it plays out is some of these Web2 brands getting into, into Web3. So, I mean, you see Starbucks and their Odyssey, Nike and like their swoosh application and some of these, like, and now we have like Amazon, like partnering with Avalanche to, to kind of do node infrastructure there. There's some cool ways that they're going to be using NFTs probably uh, preliminarily and, and kind of some like subscriptions, rewards, um, kind of stuff like that in app. I think it's, it's cool just to see Web3 being used at scale or some of the tech behind it at least. So excited to see how apps and, and other companies incorporate some of these use cases in, into, their, into their flows. I think what I would, like, I would personally be super stoked to see is like some of these more like financial giants integrate some DeFi um, like op options into their products and, and kind of doing some collaboration between, you know, TradFi and, and kind of this more DeFi space. I think that would be something that's super cool, but I think we may be a little bit further out from that than we are on, you say, wallets and NFTs and co-ops and kind of some of the soulbound stuff there. Right. Got it. Yeah, I was kind of Parker at the end. You, you covered what I was going to say is where traditionally Web2 or TradFi companies, whenever you want to call them, being able to offer the benefits of DeFi to their users, their retail customers, without the retail customers really even knowing. It's just giving them the benefits. Uh, but like also Park was hinting at, we're at a very interesting influx in the regulatory space that will either enable or disable these companies' abilities to offer DeFi to retail users. Now, I'm sure we can all agree on the fact that if it's disabling to any means, uh, it's just going to be really bad for the United States financial system. And I highly doubt they're just going to blanket ban any kind of like bank or, or investment firm from utilizing DeFi. So hopefully we can all go about it in a way that makes sense. It's safe for retail users, but also optimizes the capabilities of DeFi and, and how we can all take advantage of it. And once that stuff gets plugged in, I mean, it, it's, it's going to be great to see people move on from their, you know, singular basis point yield on their savings account uh, to being able to tap into different DeFi protocols that offer much, much more than that. Makes a lot of sense. I believe this is a totally different route that we could right now go into if you have started with DeFi and getting into the use case of DeFi, but let's pause for now. Uh, this was a great conversation, guys. Thank you so much. I'm really excited about one-click uh, interactions online, especially with Web3. And yeah, this is great. Prashant, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a, an absolute pleasure. It was a very insightful conversation. So thank you very much. Definitely. Thanks, guys.